Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman, and I'm here with my usual co-host, the Reverend Todd Pruitt. I'm a professor of biblical and religious studies at Grove City College in beautiful Western Pennsylvania. And Todd is pastor of a PC congregation, Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Todd, you're wrapped up a little bit warmer than usual. Yeah, I'm I'm indoors with a with a hoodie on. It is very cold here in the uh in the Shenandoah Valley. I, one of the things I love about living here is our weather is relatively uh, mild compared to other places I've lived in, but we can get a little chilly. When I, when I left my house this morning, it, Wednesday mornings are always really early because I meet with a group of guys from my church for study and uh, uh, walked outside um, and it was, it, was, it was five degrees and it was windy. And so that was pretty brutal. And I, I still haven't gotten over it. So unfortunately, um, you're not going to see my bare arms. And for European today. listeners, we should specify that's five degrees Fahrenheit, not five, five degrees, degrees Celsius. Exactly. That's and around about minus 14, minus 15 right. Celsius. Now, if we, if we did this over YouTube so that our listeners could actually be viewers, then I would oblige, take off the hoodie and let people see me in a sleeveless T-shirt. Because I know that that's kind of the demand. That is your and, trademark. Uh, yeah, and the expectation, and I know that people would be disappointed if they didn't see my my arms and all of my tats of you know, up and down my arms. You know, a good uh, PCA pastor. Right, right. So. so, but anyway, I figured since it's just us, I'll I'll, I'll bundle up indoors. Excellent. Except, of course, it isn't just us. We actually have a special <laughs> guest today. Uh, his name is Tom Rodelius. Uh, he is an expert in an area about which I know. I think I'm, I can honestly say. Absolutely nothing whatsoever. Yeah. I can that read we, what it is, but I can't understand it. Very, very impressive resume. He <laughs> completed his undergraduate work at Cornell and a doctorate in physics at Harvard and has conducted postdoctoral research at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, he then finished up as a postdoctoral researcher in theoretical physics at the University of California in Berkeley and is now teaching uh, at the University of Durham in my own home country uh, of England. Uh, Tom, great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. It's a great pleasure. And we've got you on because you've written a, a very interesting book, uh, Chasing Proof, Finding Faith. And what you do in that book, of course, is, is wrestle with the, you know, the, the classic traditional uh, dilemma between faith and science and yet you do so from a position of uh, you know, front, both frontline engagement and tremendous learning. Maybe we could start off uh, with, with just a very simple and straightforward question. Uh, why is it that the question of the, uh, of the relationship between faith and science uh, is such a perennial and prickly issue? Why is it something that, that people have wrestled with for many, many generations now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't say for everyone, um, certainly, but uh, 
I guess what I found in my own experience, um, first of all, coming from a rather non-religious background and coming to faith um, later in life while I was also becoming a scientist as well. Um, something that I think a, a lot of, for a lot of people, they tend to view science and faith as sort of these two opposite diametrically opposed approaches to the same questions about the world. And I think something that I've found from actually walking the journey of faith and actually walking the journey of science is that for me, the way that I think about religious faith and the way that I think about my science are actually very similar. That I would say that I take very similar approaches to what are often very different questions. Could you give us an example of that? I think that's a very interesting point, but be good to illustrate it for mm -hmm. the listeners. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think for, for example, you know, as, um, as a scientist, the, the, I think there, there's sort of this misconception that science just deals with, with brute facts and, uh, you know, that it just gives us perfect knowledge about the world, but especially on the cutting edge of research, what I'm often dealing with are, are sort of imperfect studies, right? There's, there's, there are imperfect arguments, imperfect, uh, calculations that rely on certain approximations. Um, there's experimental data, which like all experiments has error bars. And so there's some level of uncertainty. And, and so there's a lot of kind of, of kind of trying to weigh the pros and cons, trying to weigh the arguments for one thing versus another, and ultimately coming to the position that I think makes the most sense. Um, and the position where I'm, where I'm going to devote my time, right? Like I don't want to waste my time on calculations that I, I think aren't going to go anywhere or, or theories that I think are wrong. Um, so there's this kind of this balancing act of, of trying to weigh all the evidence and make the right assessment. Um, and I think that's ver very much the same for how I approach, um, you know, any question of religious faith, any question of theology, like the most basic questions of, is there a God and what does he want from me? Where I think that, and, and this is a lot of what my book is about, is kind of weighing these different arguments weighing these different viewpoints um, and ultimately coming to this conclusion that I, that I think that the Christian God makes the most sense of the world. Mm. Um, you know, most thoughtful Christians will say upfront without any hesitation or embarrassment, look, you know, we, as believers, we have certain presuppositions as we look at the world, as we interpret the things that we see and hear, we have presuppositions. Now we think those presuppositions make really good sense. Um, we believe those presuppositions are entirely coherent with um, uh, anything that 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 science, so, so to speak, would would affirm. Um, so we we deny. You know, th there, there's kind of we we think that the uh, kind of a pristine neutrality is a, is is a myth, and that having presuppositions is not a negative thing. Um, but the same is true. Um, of, of, of everybody, everybody has certain presupposition and that includes every science and, and science not being a monolith. Um, uh, you know, what, if, if this isn't too broad of a question, um, certainly every scientist approaches his or her work with certain presuppositions about how the world will work. And, and that affects how certain evidences or phenomena are, are, are interpreted. Um, how might we understand that in terms of, of, the, the the scientific fact, and here I'm talking about the hard sciences, but you know, is, is there a role? Is there a role that presuppositions uh, play in, in the work of, say, physics? Yeah, I think that there definitely is, and, and again, especially at the cutting edge, you know, um, 
so so often the, the 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 stories you hear about the successes of science are kind of in some ways the rare moments right the rare moments where like just this overwhelming data came in and this one theory was like shown mm-hmm. to be true beyond any shadow of a doubt yeah. um but it seems that i would say far more often where we are actually at in research right is not is not like looking into things that we are absolutely 100% convinced about um it's often looking in these in these gray areas where people's prior beliefs and their prior um assumptions really come into come into play and i've seen in my field you know some really uh really impassioned debates over certain certain questions and i think what you what you kind of realize when you start to sit down and think about why why are these two people arguing like this it's because a lot of them they're just bringing in different presuppositions they're bringing mm-hmm. in different priors uh and, and different prior probabilities that they can look at the same data and come to very different conclusions. Right. And, and I think even more generally, you know, from science, um, there, there's sort of maybe, there's a movement which I'm uh, very much against to sort of just treat all of metaphysics and philosophy as like a branch of physics um, and to try to reduce, you know, everything that we can know about the world to this, this physical um, picture of reality. But I think, you know, e- even the way that science is done itself, um, ultimately we need philosophical assumptions uh, about how our world works and how it operates um, so that even sci- even the very foundation of science itself relies on on suppositions and, and mm-hmm. philosophical assumptions yeah how did how did your kind of prior agnosticism perhaps prior to belief prior to conversion um how was that, how did that start to crumble? What, what were kind of the main factors that were, that really challenged your prior unbelief, if that makes sense? Yeah. So, um, well, at a, at a personal level, I think probably the most important thing that happened was that my twin brother became a Christian. Um, we were both freshmen in college at the time I was at Cornell, as you mentioned, he was at Northwestern. Um, and, largely through conversations with some Christian guys that he met there uh, at Northwestern, he came to faith and he started talking with me about it. Hmm. And, um, you know, I think what I, you know, at the time, if you'd, if you'd asked me like what I believed, I would have said, you know, I'm probably agnostic. I don't think too much about it. And just, you know, I consider myself a scientific person and uh, I probably would have, would have mumbled something about that. Um, but the thing is, I guess, looking back, what I kind of realized is I had sort of like diffused into a certain worldview without even recognizing that it was a worldview, that things like, you know, people, people should be good, you know, and, and, uh, and our, the, goal of the, the, the goal of religion is to help us live happy and moral lives, um, that I had come into it with a lot of these assumptions that I had gotten from, from my upbringing. And it was really through those conversations with my brother that I was challenged to recognize that, hey, I, I actually do have a worldview after all. Like I might, I might not call myself religious, but I, I bring a worldview to the table. And when I started to actually have some of the assumptions questioned about, you know, why, why, is, why is there good at all? You know, why, why be good? What, does good even exist? Um, why, why do I think that science points me against religion, right? When I started having a lot of those questions assumption, uh, sorry, a lot of those assumptions question, I started to realize that, you know, I have a worldview and it's maybe actually not the most reasonable one. 
Um, and that's when I really started looking into Christianity and a lot of things started to change for me. Now you say in your book that you struggled with, with doubt and even perhaps we, you know, we might say with anxiety, almost sort of mental health kind of issues. How has that affected your uh, faith? How has that played into uh, your understanding of Christianity, your experience of the gospel, Tom? Yeah, that's, that's really a good question. And, and I'll say a few more words about that experience. Um, something It's something that kind of, it came up a few years after I came to faith and, and has occasionally come up um, and lasted for months at a time, are these sort of uh, obsessive doubts um, that have, as you say, that I, I would really now call anxiety. Um, and, uh, and I would distinguish that from the sort of doubts that I, that I still have, right? Like right at this moment, I'm not sort of obsessively questioning my faith, but I am, there are still things that are mysteries to me. You know, there are still things that I don't really understand and I would like to understand better. Um, but I think something that I really learned from going through those, those moments of really crippling doubt to the, to the point of anxiety um, is that I, I've come to recognize and that I think the sort of faith that God calls me to and, and calls all of us to is a lot more than just intellectual affirmation in, in the key tenets of Christianity. Um, because in those moments of doubt, you know, there, there'll be one hour where you ask me like, you know, what, what do you think are the odds that Christianity is true? And then you, you ask me the same question another hour later, and it might've changed drastically, right? That I'm, I'm kind of in this moment, these, the season of just like being tossed and turned by the waves um, as far as what I actually think. Um, and to the point that I, I, I don't even know if I can trust myself because my brain is so, it's, it, I'm so anxious. I'm having these, these clearly irrational doubts that I just don't really know if I can even trust what I'm thinking. Um, but I think that what God really wants from us in those moments, and, and I know a num many people, even since I wrote the book, have reached out to me with similar experiences. I think what God really wants from us in those moments is that we would give him our allegiance, even in the midst of our doubts. And I think that that's the sort of faith that God really calls us to is the sort of faith that says, you know, that God, I will take your side, even against the doubts that I will choose to give you my life and, and to follow you, um, even if I'm questioning. And so I think that's something that's really, that stayed with me even to these moments of where I'm not quite as anxious that, that, um, you know, God, God, obviously I think cares about the intellect. And as a scientist, I think there's a lot of value in that, but ultimately God is not just a question to be solved, like another physics problem or math problem. Ultimately, God is someone that we can have a relationship with. He's someone that we are called to worship and obey. It's interesting. What you've described there is very similar to Martin Luther's experience. Martin Luther has these things. Uh, the German word is Anfechtungen, which doesn't really translate easily into English. It's sort of angst-ridden doubts causing anxiety and it's often said that if luther was around today he'd be diagnosed as a as a depressive of some kind that what he really struggles with is a form of depression and i'm uh, i certainly think that that's quite likely the case mm -hmm. but the way you describe as you were describing your experience there and then you came through and we're talking about really about god for us uh, not dependent upon the strength of our faith but god being for mm -hmm. us that is quintessential luther so mm -hmm. lo i love that statement tom always love anything that resonates yeah, yeah. with luther. <laughs> yeah absolutely and 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 it was interesting to me one of the things that was interesting to me is is you know you talk about how 
your unbelief was starting to crumble as you as claims of the Bible, claims of Christianity, you know, were making sense to you. So there was this rational um, side of it. You're weighing evidence. You're you're looking at it, which is obviously a part of our faith. But you also mention, you know, the conversion of your twin brother, which which lends itself to perhaps some more ineffable type of of influence and something that and and isn't that the way it is with faith on the one hand there are things that make absolute sense um they they seem to cohere with reality et cetera et cetera but there's this ineffable side that ties into things like relationships and people's witness and and that sort of thing i wonder if you could describe just kind of the weightiness that you felt in seeing your brother uh, converted yeah. Um, yeah. And I think this kind of ties into what you were saying before, this, this idea that there's no such thing as like the the unique uh, one, like objective, mm-hmm. rational observer. Right. I think that's something that I've really experienced in my journey to faith, where on the one hand, there was this this intellectual component of looking into the arguments and, and learning far more about religion and God and Christianity than I'd ever known before. Um, on the other hand, there was also this experience of of being with my twin brother and seeing the ways that his life changed, um, and and I think it's it's even difficult to, for me to set to to really completely pinpoint as I look back at how I came to faith of like what what fraction of this was just purely intellectual and what fraction of this was experiential. Um, and I don't, and I don't think that's even really the right way to think about it. That, that really at the end of the day, what happened to me is that my experiences changed and they changed me and they changed my outlook on the world. So, so I wouldn't say that I was, you know, like totally irrational necessarily for believing what I did back, back before I came to faith. Um, I just hadn't seen as much of the world and I hadn't experienced as much of, of my brother or myself. Um, and then it was this combination of, of learning about this God and reading these books that Steve gave me, but then also living new experiences that all of a sudden the Christian worldview made sense out of, out of what I experienced. What would you, what advice would you then give Tom to, to somebody, you know, uh, a non-Christian who's not particularly overtly hostile and is interested in thinking about the faith, what advice would you give to that person? You know, what book would you recommend they read other than the Bible, of course? I mean, that, that's yeah. the obvious one. But how would you approach a sort of evangelistic opportunity, uh, given your background, given your expertise, given your experience and your struggles? Uh, how would that play into a, a sort of personal evangelistic moment? Yeah, well, um, I'm going to give one one book recommendation and then one sort of piece of advice, I guess. Um, so in addition to the Bible, as you said, the, the very first two books that I read, the first ones that my brother gave me were, were the Bible, specifically the New Testament, um, and a book called Letters from a Skeptic by Gregory Boyd and Edward Boyd. Um, and the premise of the book is that it's, it's just an actual correspondence between a pastor named Gregory Boyd and his father named Edward Boyd. And, um, and you read it and I read it as a skeptic and you read the, the father of the skeptics, uh, Edward's letters, and you really kind of resonate with all the objections that he have, you know, why would a good God allow suffering and, and how could I believe in miracles and in, in the modern world? Um, and then you'd read, I would read Greg's answers and they were surprisingly well thought out. You know, I didn't necessarily believe everything he said, but it was, I think it was really 
encouraging to realize that, you know, the Christians had thought about all of these questions too, you know, that like smart people had thought about it. And, um, and so for me, I think that was a really good, good book to start. And I would say that that's a great place to start if you, um, or just kind of would like to maybe learn more. Um, I I think the other thing that is really important, um, is, is for me, I I don't think I, I probably wouldn't have come to faith or at least not nearly as easily if I didn't have my twin brother guiding me. Um, and, and so I do think that really, um, having a community, like going, checking out our church, finding some Christian friends, um, I think that looking back, a lot of what I believed about Christianity was a bit of a caricature, like what I what I saw in the media, right, in like on the on the news or whatever. What you see of religious people versus what the experience of religious people is actually like, um, I think, can be very different. And so I, I think that it's important to like find some some people of faith who you know uh, or who you can know and, and actually see how they live and, and talk to them and ask them questions. Todd, you're muted. <laughs> Don't know where... Now, now I'm no longer muted. That's one of my top pieces of counsel I give to people who are struggling uh, to believe is um, God uses um, the fellowship of his people. God uses the church. And I remember uh, serving as a pastor in the Philadelphia area, had a young man in his late 20s reached out to me because he no longer believed he'd been, he raised, he was raised in a Christian home and actually sadly lost his faith at a Christian college um, under in, in, in Bible classes, which is the ironic thing. Cause he was being taught by professors who didn't leave, believe really large portions just, of the Bible. Can you just be specified? This isn't Grove city college. This is not Grove city college. This is on the opposite side of the state. Okay. Um, okay. And, and, uh, um, and he was, he, one of the things he said was he really missed being a Christian, but that he just couldn't anymore because he just could not believe. He just couldn't bring himself to believe. And, you know, at that point, I thought, you know, I'm not going to argue this guy in into faith. He's a thoughtful, intelligent young man. And so I, I told him, uh, start reading the Gospel of John and start coming to church. I said, you and I know each other now. Um, we, we can talk every Sunday when you see me. He knew some people at the church. And to my surprise, he started coming every Sunday. And about six months later, he wrote me this fantastic letter um, where he had come to believe very firmly. And he said more than he ever had before, but it was, it was, it was wrestling through his questions, but doing so in the fellowship of believers and being under the ministry of the word and this very intelligent, young, thoughtful man, um, believe that way. And so, you know, I, I, I say that because here we are, we're talking to a scientist and you know, the kind of prescription you gave us was read some good stuff, read your Bible and, and fellowship with Christians, which, you know, any Christian can give that counsel to people, um, which I think is refreshing and very encouraging. Yeah. Can I ask you one thing, Tom, I sort of moving towards the end here, but what on earth is string theory? <laughs> I was going <laughs> to, <yeah. laughs> I suspect you can't answer that adequately in 45 yeah. seconds, but if you could give us the, the yeah, we can't let you go without uh, that. The, the yeah. abbreviated Wikipedia definition <laughs> of string theory. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Well, string, string theory is, is called string theory because it's a theory which holds that basically everything that we see in the world around us is made up of tiny little strings. Um, so instead of like point particles, which is how we used to think about everything, the idea is that if you actually really zoomed in, 
what looked like a point would actually be extended in one dimension. And we call ah. that a string. Ah, fascinating. This See, is why I'm not a scientist. I, I, can, I can read a poem, but I cannot <laughs> grasp these kind of concepts. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, we we're uh, glad that there are people out there working on string theory, and we're glad indeed, that there's some Christians indeed. doing it as well. And glad that that I'm not the one uh, needing to come up with answers there. So that's a good thing. Well, uh, folks, our our guest has been Tom Redelius, and he's the he's the um, the author of a new book, Chasing Proof: Finding Faith. And if you will go to the Mortification of Spin website, um, mortificationofspin.org. Um, you can enter to win um, a copy of this book, and we would encourage you to do so. And as you do, if you feel so compelled to to make a gift to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals so that they can continue to provide content like this, feel free to do that. But Tom, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Um, uh, happy about the book. Hope it does well. Of course, now that you've been on here, it'll it'll be an instant best, bestseller. Um, oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's yeah. 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 <laughs> thanks, Tom, for being here. And um, uh, we wish you all the best. Yeah, thanks, guys. A lot of fun. Yeah. You bet. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to Mortification of Spin, and we will uh, look forward to being with you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Mortification of Spin.